The Fantasy Animation Podcast takes its listeners on a journey through the colliding and sometimes competing worlds of fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. Each episode, we select an example of fantasy animation and consider the ways in which it functions to inspire and use our imaginations within the sphere of all things that are sculpted, composed, crafted and drawn. To help support the show, please subscribe via your podcast feed and give us a like and a quick review. It takes no more than a minute, but it really helps us to grow our audience. You can also find our archive of podcasts and our weekly blog at fantasy-animation.org. You'll find the latest reviews there, features, editorials, all written by academics, writers, historians and professional animators working within these overlapping media, mediums and genres. Failing all that, tell your friends, tell a friend about the show and the good work we do here. There's no substitution for good old-fashioned word of mouth, so thanks for downloading and I really hope you enjoy the show. Hi again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm Chris Holliday. Chris, we continue our journey through the world of Harry Potter. Today we've reached the yep. third film, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yep. Um, considered by many the best in it, the trilogy. It is the best. It is the best. Yeah, I think it is, annoyingly. I've sort of held out saying that until I rewatched it this time, because I just wanted to be a contrarian. But I don't, I don't, I, I can't think of a way why it isn't. So uh, we'll discuss that and more in the, in the episode to come. I've got lots of notes on all things fantastical as always. Um, I want to talk about weirdness, grotesqueness. I want to talk about time and space. Um, we've got some time travelling fun to be having here. Yes. Um, for you? I would like to talk about uh, how I think this, thinking about kind of stu- the, the spells, stupefied, uh, petrified, enchantment, and thinking about how these are kind of processes of deanimation. The f- these films are very interested in things that are alive, but also things that don't move and, and are still. And, and so I'd like to talk about Harry Potter and deanimation. I'd love to talk about the time turner because I think this is the best Harry Potter. And I think the moment where the time turner does its stuff um, prompts some interesting formal things in terms of like camera work and virtual cameras doing some fun stuff. Uh, and maybe Wolves and Animagus because I think this film is doing a lot in terms of like... Yeah. Sure. I'm always fascinated to hear your views on CGI animals. Uh, we've got we've done camels, we've done horses, we've done dogs. I'm delighted to read horses, horses that pretend horses in movie animated horses in movies pretend to be dogs. I know. Correct. I've learnt. Uh, let's introduce our guest rather than go down that rabbit hole. Wait, uh, are you talking about Tangled? Yes. 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 All, he's talking about all films. But all like, film. I always notice that with Tangled, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so camels pretend to be horses. Horses pretend to be dogs. Yeah. And we're going to find out in about 40 minutes what wolves pretend to be, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. You've already heard her, but we're welcome uh, to, the, to the podcast, Rihanna Dillon. Uh, Rihanna is a, a film critic and presenter. You've heard her, I'm sure, on all kinds of shows. BBC Radio 1, Front Row, Sky News, Channel 5. But she's currently um, the film critic for Six Music and Five Live, as well as a stand-in on Kermode Mayo's take. Um, Rihanna uh, is also a massive Harry Potter fan, as her Twitter feed and bio suggests. So... Thanks so much for coming on the show and helping us unpack Azkaban with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's our pleasure. Um, yeah, so 
I was I was keen to have you on as soon as I found out you were a Potter fan. Um, Chris, as we all know and as listeners know by now, has seen eight movies. Uh, so um, <laughs> someone with a slightly more Jeez. kind of emotional attachment to the franchise. Let's start with Harry Potter in general. What is it about Harry Potter that first attracted you to it? If you can actually articulate that, because it's very hard to articulate that kind of thing. Oh. Um, and what continues your interest in it? Yeah, I suppose I'm that classic bore who grew up with the book. So I was the same age mm. as Harry, Ron and Hermione. And I remember getting the first books as the first two together were, you know, paperback. My friend gave them to me for my birthday when we were in primary school. And she was so excited to like kind of riffle through the pages and find um, a bit where they talk about bogey flavoured sweets sure. and we both thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever read um, and the bit where Dumbledore is like oh vomit or something when he tries one of 30 pots every flavoured beans and so we so I that was I have such a clear image I'm I'm someone who doesn't have that many like real clear images when I was younger but Harry Potter is definitely one of them and so then that was my lot those were paperback and then I got the hardbacks then you know I was the ones I queued at midnight and um, you did it properly then. Did you it did properly. the whole fandom thing properly. Yeah. Then. Well, as much as I could, my friends all really loved it as well. Um, for my friend's Hindu, we like threw her a Harry Potter themed Hindu, which I was kind of sad about because it meant that we couldn't really do the same for mine. Um, mm. But I did have a sort of Harry Potter themed bar at my wedding because I didn't want to go too over on themes generally because it's a wedding and not a party. Just, sure. but and it's not just me getting married my husband as well yeah. he's not into Harry Potter <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, okay. so I did some light theme he didn't even go into the bar he just stayed on the dance floor so he missed it entirely which I'm kind of sad about but I loved I love the kind of iconography of it I love the trio I, we have like Harry Potter WhatsApp groups the chosen one it's called you know because we're really fucking nerdy okay. cool. Um, cool. so yeah it's kind of permeated every aspect of my life somehow in a quite a gentle way. Wonderful. We have a nerd amongst our Great. Uh, thank God. Uh, right, yes. okay. And Azkaban, you said, was your favourite. Was it yours your favourite book? Um, and therefore, easy to find actually, it was your favourite film? No. Or is it a bit more complicated than that? No, it wasn't necessarily my favourite book, actually. It's a great book. But um, I think possibly, I think Goblet of Fire okay. is maybe my favourite book. Just because there's so much, so much to it. And there's so much in it. Um, it's so meaty. Whereas, but the film of... Prisoner of Azkaban is so it's dark and Alfonso yep. Cuaron is one of my he's such an interesting director everything he's done I interviewed him once um I, it must have been for Gravity um back in 2013 but I wanted to ask him about a little princess because mm. you know that was what I'd grown up with from his you know and yeah. what a brilliant film that was for kids it's because so again good. it's really so quite good. dark mm. as well and he was saying his son was the um was the chimney sweep in it and I don't know it was just adorable all of it so yeah I loved Alfonso Cuarón this could only have gone well having him helm a Harry Potter film and it absolutely did well that's like the the the, the big and you alluded to this at the start it's this sort of the big these kinds of narratives that exist around the film is that it's because of him that the films this film or the Harry Potter films started to do something different and I don't know whether um, I, I, I wasn't a, a fan I have never and still have never read the books um, and I as Alex and I, the, these are at least seven of the eight movies I've seen <laughs> um, it's but, fine by the way I'm not ever going to judge you for not reading the books okay like you won't you won't necessarily as long as, long as I've seen this movie and I have yeah. <laughs> but but the, I guess the received narrative around the Harry Potter franchise is that this is the film that marked mm. a different kind of 
way of doing Harry Potter. So mm. is that is that true of the is that true of the books, or or is it because of Curon as a director kind of doing? Because obviously Columbus is with his own pedigree in a, a certain kind of, of cinema that obviously leans towards um, fantasy. But I'm you know. I, there's clearly a, a shift that's taking place, so I'm I'm actually also interested in how true those kinds of received narratives sure. actually are. Are we just going, yeah, well, it's kind of different because he's a different kind of filmmaker and he's I don't know. I just we'd be interested to know your yeah. Kind of thoughts on that. I think it's a bit of both because um, I think as you've maybe alluded to or spoken about on the podcast before, in the first couple of films they are children, yeah. very clearly children. And in this, um, 2004, it came out, so I would have been 15, so they must have been. Kind of the actors must have been roughly that as well, yeah. um, and you can see a real marked change. They are going through puberty. They are young mm. adults at this stage, and so their the predicaments that they're put in do seem much more grown up. And you know, there, there's less of that um, sort of gung ho adventure about the third film, and much more about the the history of Harry's life mm-hmm. um, and the history of kind of growing up and realizing just ha- like just normal adults can be really flawed and dangerous as much as having this overarching evil which is quite a childlike thing you know good and evil and actually this explores the grayer areas of that mm. which i find really interesting mm. so i hadn't kind of thought about that that sort of the age of the character so the age of the actors and and the fact this is so this is the third year of their hogwarts sort of they've done the first two years sort of um I always think of these films following a, diff- a certain kind of pattern where you have the opening bit in Privet Drive, which is all light and summery, yeah. and then something happens. And even, obviously, the second one with the, the um, Ford Anglia and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. For, right from the start, this one is super dark, as in to, to look at, to as my mum would say, why didn't the, where are all the lights? Yeah. Why can't yeah. I, my dad would say that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why is, it's just so dark, isn't it? It's supposed to be like that. <laughs> pop on one of the Bourne films can't even make any sense of this not a chance um, so yeah. so that was running through my head but it was more I mean I, I, I'm a firm believer that every film is would be improved by the presence of Pam Ferris just as a rule oh 100% just as a general rule yes. about cinema sure, sure. Um, sure. cinema <laughs> But, but, but what's so brilliant about the casting, as you say, of Pam Ferris, is that we all know her as the Trunchbull. Yes. And we know, and she kind of brings that legacy with her. This is just like sort of another arm of what the Trunchbull might have yeah. said <laughs> or done. I mean, she says really similar things yeah. to what to um, Matilda's dad in Matilda, right? And or to Matilda about her dad. You know, like you know, you're the black sheep of the family, and da, da, da. It, they're very very similar roles. So it is kind of brilliant casting because it's an immediate nostalgia trip for yeah. those of us who. Were watched Matilda the first time round. You've not have you not seen it? No, I've seen it. Oh, okay, good. So I'm, I... good. Good good to check though. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> moving forward, yeah. any reference film reference to so that's Tangled, yes. Matilda, yes. Yes, we're doing well. We're doing well. That's... <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think the I think the books mature as the readership matures and that's one of the I can't think of another franchise like that. I think Chronicles of Narnia are a bit like that, but it's a bit more sporadic the tone. It's more about when they were written rather than the kind of uh, chronology of the story whilst this yeah, has that kind of it, you know Rowling knew her readership was getting older and, mm-hmm. and absolutely uh, uh, uh. the books mature as, as, the, as, the, as the sequence matures but the, I mean the filmmaking is also different I mean there's this kind of expressive you know motion, uh, roaming camera that kind of literally kind of flies off into the sky and really kind of takes what what is quite um, 
I'm trying not to kind of frame Columbus's filmmaking as pedestrian or or simple because I think there's something really important going on yeah. in those first two mm -hmm. movies about how it establishes this this playground by which the other filmmakers get to play mm -hmm. in. And I think it's too simple to go, oh, this is the first one where anyone knows what they're yeah, doing. Yeah. That's that's it's not quite that, but it does feel like the whole thing lifts into the to the sky even before we get to the magical sequences. Yeah. By the way, those opening sequences are are, are shot and. By the fact that kind of the, the, the filmmaking wants to put us in the room with Harry, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's not just the darkness of the of the shot; it's that Harry, Harry's been in quite dark situations up until this point. You know, the Dursleys are not pleasant; they're kind no. of lovably unpleasant in that kind of Dalesque yeah. um, yeah. kind of. You know, we enjoy them because they're Twits. so rotten. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but he's he's fought some basilisks by now and and dealt with some. Um, some Voldemort ghosts and all this kind of stuff, but he's been sweetness and pie all about it up until this point. He's been a lovable, you know, lovable Harry. Now Harry's Harry's pissed off, yeah, and he's angry yes. and he's adolescent, and the film is kind of pissed off with him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's perhaps the tonal difference in those that that, that that runs throughout the whole movie. But it starts in those opening titles. It's like you're in that same space that you saw in the first two movies, but it's just. We're over here now. You're mm -hmm. seeing that. You're seeing that side of the room now, uh, and I yeah. think that's a really clever but really important detail. That's so true, and it kind of has always annoyed me at the beginning of this film that he does magic underneath the duvet because he's not allowed to. Yes, that is yes. literally yeah, the whole yeah, 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 yeah. point. That's the whole point of the beginning of this film is he's not allowed to do magic. Yeah, and he's so worried that he's going to be expelled from Hogwarts, but it's like it just explodes out of him anyway and results in Aunt Marge blowing up. Mm -hmm. And so to open the film with that kind of blatant disregard for that. That rule like sets my teeth on edge but it does kind of remind us as you say of the fact that this Harry is very different he's much more comfortable in his own skin now as a wizard and not the boy who lived under the stairs and so when you see uh, Vernon come in and kind of stomp around it's really funny because it's it feels you know they're much more on equal ground now it's not just this huge bully and this tiny little boy who will can't actually, he has no autonomy. We know that Harry now has autonomy. He can do something mm. if he really wants to, and that's exactly what happens. Mm. Does that change the register of fantasy, though? Because when you've spoken previously mm. about these sorts of, you know, these portal quest fantasies where characters go through things to fantasy worlds and return, you're immersive, all this kind of stuff. His understanding of, of fantasy and magic and enchantment. Harry's. Yeah. Or is different because in the first two he's still learning a little even in mm -hmm. the you know he's still learning about about the and the way that children learn about themselves their bodies and their boundaries and and their limitations he's learning about the magic and and by the third one he's like right i understand he, he, there's a lot more that he knows yeah and and so his autonomy comes from his understanding of his own Harriness, he's like, right, well, I'm going to pack up my stuff and I'm going to leave and I'm going to... And, and the, this film is different because you're not... A lot of the Harry Potters, you have to learn with, with Harry Potter. Like he's, he's new to these Hogwarts sure. and he, he does his second and he learns the things and you learn mm -hmm. with him. And here yeah, you... It's the it, Banks children for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. The, the film doesn't really need... It doesn't spend that much time in, in private drive and sort of disregards it because it's more... But he's not... The, this film isn't him learning about lots and lots of... The, the the newest spell per se. I, this is a lot more about, as you said, like his history and his genealogy. There's a lot more conversation about his family. Mm. Obviously, this is you were saying before we start. It's the only so it's the only book without Voldemort as well. I believe so. I'm now right. like desperately trying to rack my brains. He's 
Yeah, I think you're right. Is the only one because that that is significant because there's not an adversary person. I mean, there there are villains in the film, but there's not the main antagonist. No, and Voldemort is mentioned, but no, he never. We never see any kind of physical iteration of him. Yeah. So the whole film is without that, without Voldemort being the the thing that that means that the film is leading towards a confrontation Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. Instead, the the whole film is just a little bit just keeps you on edge a little bit because he's trying to negotiate his own sort of understanding of the world. He kind of knows the the the, the magic and the rules of the game. Yeah. He's working out his relation and and you're right, he's he's kind of he's pissed off for those reasons. Mm. Um but it is significant that Voldemort's not in it because it means that the film isn't doing some of the things that the other films mm-hmm. do well, but it's not having to I don't know, it's not trying to create this narrative where the ultimate end is this, this confrontation between hero and villain. It's much more about Harry's own relationships with with other with with Draco or with Hagrid or mm. with and that's what I really like about it. It's a lot more it's flattened yeah. a little bit, but in a good way, I think. Well it's flattened, but it's all, it's it's flattened I see what you're saying, but actually the use of the word flattened, I would challenge that because it's not flattened, actually the the whole thing is 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 visually I think more decorative, and I yes. think that's. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to really go with. Let's go with this tortured analogy of the, of like who's being liberated. Harry gets liberated. He has more autonomy. There's also a sense that the film franchise has a bit more autonomy and sure-footedness mm-hmm. because it's yes, like I agree with that. it's there's this there's this paranoia about making sure they do right by this world in the first two movies that ultimately ends in a bit of apathy, I think, mm-hmm. which is people like, okay, I, I get it. It looks like what I hoped it would look like in the books. Yeah, Can yeah, you do yeah. something with it, though? Yeah. And it's almost like the third, the film's like, yeah, we'll do something with it. And and this is the movie's <laughs> response yeah. to it. Yeah. This and is you... a filmic yes. rendering of of this world that you've enjoyed yeah. so far on the page, but let's see it fly on the screen. And now it's opening it up to so much more than just Hogwarts and Privet Drive. And yeah. you know, we're kind of seeing this expansion of this world, this universe that we're still desperate to delve into in all of these different ways and through all these different characters. But now we're just starting to see how it maps out mm. a little bit more. And I, and I, I guess in the way that a child develops, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, just, it's like there's I'm your really little bubble. Thing. Yeah. yeah, and then you sort of realise there are other things out there. You have other feelings there that aren't immediate to your parents or to your best friend at school. You know, mm. they just kind of it, you, we just see this these fingers spreading out everywhere. I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I almost think that first shot because uh, my partner's a massive. Hot Potter book fan as well. Yeah. Exactly what nerds. you said. Love saying, it. you know, oh, well, he wouldn't do that because he, they yeah. break things at spell. And I almost think like that's there deliberately because it's sort of like, yeah, we're gonna break, we're gonna break the rules. We're gonna break we're gonna the rules. We're gonna piss you off. We're gonna piss you <laughs> off. Harry's pissed off. We're all pissed off. Uh, um, let's go. And 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 as soon as he storms out the the door, that's kind of right. Like we we we, we will we're not taking prisoners this time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's all these little bits. The which, as a book fan, you're like, no, but you've missed out these moments yeah. because these are big beats to hit because of this this and this so what's the film doing instead the film is driven really by Sirius Black that's like yes him and Lupin are the things it's like the film wants to get to that quickly it would seem I I haven't I can't remember any interviews from the time but I can imagine it went along the line of we cut everything that wasn't to do with character Harry Sirius things like that I'm dubious of those kind of narratives because I actually think a lot of and and in a good way because I think um, it's also about how cool Dementors can look if you mm. give it five minutes on screen to really let it settle into yeah. this world and stuff like that. And that's 
important to do because you can't do that in a book, right? Yeah. You know, the reason it yours is, very is better than the book is not because we spend loads of time learning about the characters. It's, like, <laughs> it's because the shark's the really shark. scary. Um, you know, so yeah, give us some scary dementors, like you yeah. know. But but it is definitely economizing it's putting those world beats in the background yeah. and going what's the spine of this mm -hmm. and let's let's go for that i can imagine it's frustrating i suspect that i suspect again i suspect that the narrative would we're not saying those things didn't happen it's just yeah, exactly. we didn't shoot them yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah, those yeah. things are right but um i there's definitely a different process of adaptation going on here mm -hmm. there's less concern with making sure we hit all the hit all the beats. Yeah, and, it's less yeah. about world building, as you say, and much more about these characters that we are then going to spend a lot of time with over the next few films and books. Yeah, yes, that's true. But, but there is a there is a, th a bit of world building at the beginning where we get the night bus scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, woo woo. Okay, what do we thought of that then? Um, <laughs> it's it's a weird little sequence. I think it's 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 a new element to the film. Yeah. it's one of the few new things that the, that they're introducing into this world. And it's a very odd sequence. If I, actually, I watched this on DVD, everybody, because I'm old enough to still own DVDs. I couldn't find my DVDs. Okay. I looked everywhere. Okay. I have no idea where they well, are. Well, I can confirm the night bus is the is the DVD menu background. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, and yeah, we yeah. watched this one night. You know, it took us about half an hour to get going because of things like that. So that night bus kind of with the with the weird kind of talking. Um, yeah, the shrunken thing. heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of kept going. Yeah. Why don't you press play and all this kind of madcap stuff for about half an hour? I love that so much. <laughs> it's so dated. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Talk to anyone, anyone, Rihanna, thoughts on the night bus? I love the night bus. I really do. It's Because again, it's it, it's part of the world building. We've kind of seen Leaky Cauldron yep. and we've seen Private Drive. Yes. And this is the first time we've seen the magic way of linking the two. And it's such a weird, like the imagery of it, like having like this old route master chopping the top off, adding another deck to that. And so then you have this triple decked bus, um, which again is like, you know, double decked buses when you were a kid were really cool and exciting, yeah, yeah, like the yeah. old London buses. So to then just have another layer on top of that, I love, because again, it's very childlike, yeah. very, um, very kind of iconic of what we see as the history of London, but they've made it wizard London, yeah. you know? So that, that is cool. Um, it's it is very in your face. Lenny Henry is very in your face with his little one-liners, but they're funny. Yeah. Like he's very quick. And um, Stan Shunpike, yep. he because he comes back later on. This is our very first introduction to him. And again, he's just a brilliant character because yeah. he's such a he's such a nobody. Really, he's again one of the few characters that we meet who is just like huh. Like has nothing really going for him. In the books, there's this running joke where Harry doesn't want to be called like you know, be recognized as Harry Potter. So he, when he's asked what his name is, he just says, Neville Longbottom. And so then there's this running joke where Stan always calls him Neville, right, right. even though at the end of this bus journey, the minister is waiting and says Harry, and he's like, wait a minute, you know? And he yeah. realizes that he is Harry Potter, but still keeps calling him Neville, because he's that stupid. Right, and it's right. just like a really funny little in-joke, and I wish they'd kept that in. But I do think that Lee Ingleby as oh. Dan Shunpike is perfect yep. casting. He is, he's one of my favorite. He's so one good, isn't he? Because he, he's kind of yep. taking on the, because yep. he plays like in space, he plays yes. like the, the yeah, the, <laughs> We're like doing, I, I doing pistols space, at so each I don't other. Know what you're both yeah. doing right yeah. now? Yeah. Oh. The, the benefit of the listeners, they're shooting each other. It seems. You, so. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a great scene in space. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Lee Ingleby is is really good casting, and that's the other thing about this film. Like you yeah. say with Pam Ferris, the casting of the new characters <clears throat> is sublime. Yeah, because so that that night bus sequence takes the place of 
the Ford Angler. Like it's the same. Yeah. It's it's getting Harry out of A to B. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting him out of Privet Drive, and it, and in the, in the second film, it's it's bright kind of sunshine, and uh, Ron is sort of driving this car in the middle of this car. This is not that. No. Um, and it's I, I was I was thinking about when you mentioned London. I was thinking about I wonder at what point sort of you know tours of London and Harry Potter's London started to kind of originate and this feels very mm-hmm. like that um, uh, there's some interesting things we could talk about in relation to race and Lenny Henry and which we probably don't have time to talk about but this is just um, the, his his performance and um, it is uh, I, I, I guess in the case of fantasy it's a moment where it's like this is out in the the whole, the whole, all these Harry Potter films are about, are about what you can and can't do with magic, and where you can do it under the covers, and where you're allowed to do it, and the rules that govern where magic should take place. So this is a really good kind of flagrant example of just, I don't know if it's rule, but it's just like magic is just so, doing things in the street, and it's mm, moving through yeah. a real world recognizable space, moving time, yeah. showing time, yeah, yeah. Which, which is the whole. Like, there are so many ticking clocks and clock faces and swinging pendulums in this film, which is. Yes, go on. Well, you asked me earlier about question about rhetoric and like what is this yes, a slightly is. different rhetoric? And I thought I'm glad I didn't actually have to answer that because I don't think I've got an answer <laughs> for it. But I'm starting to get there, which is that I think that that sequence demonstrates the difference that's going on here. Is that is that you're right? The other films, what would happen there is we'd get like Harry would go, oh my god, and there'd be like a gasp. And there's this kind of the John Williams soundtrack would yeah, come in, yeah. the night bus would pull up, we'd have a nice wide shot of the bus, and that kind of you know introductory, um, exploratory. Here's another cool thing to look at in this world. Kind why of this is the night bus? Uh, yeah, why this is the night bus indeed? And here it's like just get on it, and the chaos just, just ensues. Get on it. Just get there's on like it. A, a much more kind of atmospheric <laughs> sense of magic in here, where like magic isn't something to gawp at it's not something to look at and it's not something to appreciate or or, or learn about it's something to use to inhabit mm. and and to and to feel like it's around you whether that's like feeling like you're getting thrown in the night bus or feeling like you're as cold as it looks like it's going to be in hogwarts train there's a there's a sense of wanting to kind of embody and and be in this kind of magical world rather than just look at it which is sort of yeah. How the first films feel like. And you have bored 20-year-olds who are having to do jobs that they don't necessarily want to do yeah, yeah, yeah. as bus conductors. Yeah, yeah, because this world isn't, quote-unquote, magical Magic. to these people. No, it's this just is the world. world. Yes. Yeah, that's um, a really, really astute point. I really love that. It's true. And it's just all these kind of, I don't really know what that is over there in that bit of the shot, but we, and there's no need to know because we're just in a world yeah. right now. Um, and there's less of that need to learn stuff. And it's more, so once the chaos of that sequence is, is doing a nice job with that kind of um yeah it's a new kind of of way of inhabiting and i think it's much more cinematic because because that's what cinema can do cinema is space and actually cinema is space and spinner is time and we can come to time later because i have thoughts on that (laughs) but uh but you know it's about our kind of you know fantastical relationship with space what do we do when we watch a film but but try to kind of throw all our fantasies onto a space uh whether you know um, and that's what we're trying to do. And you know, like the whole idea of us, you know, if you're on a bus and it stops too fast and you're staggering yep. about, and they do exactly that in the book. You know, there's this woman, Madame March, I think, who gets 
like bus sick and you hear her vomiting upstairs on the bus <laughs> and it's like really explicit but it's also just like yeah it's like any horrible coach journey yeah. it's so actually for them pedestrian is yes. just taking a bus from A to B and all of the horrors that that involves although in this case it involves beds and hot chocolate and toothbrushes if you're staying overnight because it is yeah. the night bus you know yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's grubbier and weirder and 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 less con and more confusing it's just public isn't it yeah all of this as opposed to hogwarts which is this kind of private bubble and i really like that mm. interesting yeah i hadn't thought of that it's really interesting so the first so are we saying that the first two magic is something to be you say kind of gawped at and actually learnt about and kind of understood and whereas this film and even enjoyed enjoyed right? yeah whereas this film is more about well, what does Harry do right at the start when he uses it as a weapon to, to blow up margin? Oh, magic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, magic. yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, it has more... Is it, does it have more kind of bodily... This is the film where, like, magic has more bodily implications because you have these range of characters that transform and mm. metamorphose in a way that's ever so slightly different to how magic has been understood in the first two. It's still something to be... Feared, but it's also really something that's childlike in the way that you've described the, the first two. Something to be learned about by children who are still not quite, I don't know, attuned to how magic works. But this is this is the film where okay, so people could yeah, people do transform and get hurt and get I don't know. There's, there's just a bit more jeopardy to the magic, I think. Yeah, and the, I mean that whole plot of. Harry learning how to do the Patronus is kind of that, in, it, it, um, sort of in a nutshell. It's, mm. it's, it's not. It, you know, how does how does Harry defeat the Basilisk? He stabs it with a sword, um, and there's something about a Griffin that I don't really understand. It's not Griffin, is it? What is it? A Phoenix uh, that mm. I don't really understand. Phoenix so the, tears. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thing. yeah. Something about trusting Dumbledore, and a, then the bird will cry on your book, or something like that. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I know that's quite what it's. No, no, no. I'll, I'll let you get away with that. It, it's a complicated scene, yeah. <laughs> And, and there's probably probably something about a Horcrux eventually, Sorry. but we haven't got there yet. Um, uh, but the, and and the first one, what solves the day? It's it's Ron's. You literally just said trust Dumbledore, and he'll let his phoenix. Yeah, crawl on, crawl your, on book. your book, something like that, isn't it? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, he gets got the book. Such a and good line. It stabs the thing. Phoenix cries on it. End of film. He doesn't cry the book. He cries on because Harry. Because his arm. Because that would make no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We haven't even got to Horcruxes yet. We will have in a different show in a different episode. Um, oh, what am I saying? I'm sad. I'm not going to be there for that one. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we haven't got to. We haven't got to Hogwarts yet. So at this rate, you might be. Um, oh my God, um, true, yeah. um, where Where was I? What was I saying? What was I talking about, Chris? Magic in the first. Um, oh yes, sorry. Yes, with the Patronus spell. Yes. That you know. So in the second, in the first film, what saves the day? Ron's ability to play chess. Actually, magic isn't a thing these kids possess. They, it's not something they learn. They Wingardium Leviosa, and only Hermione can do it. Uh, and even mm -hmm. then, it's sort of a textbook essay, academic thing. It's not a thing that they own. They possess. Here, he's going to learn the spell because otherwise, he's screwed. He's going right? to die. Yeah. And actually, literally, he's going to die, yeah. right, as we find out later. And and his ability to master that spell to own it and for us to kind of, you know, that's such a, if I have to think of like just top five, three seconds from Harry Potter films, that bit where he kind of, you know, um, you know, does the spell and like does it properly. Across the pond, you yeah. mean? Yeah. It's so like, I don't know, it's so almost sublime. It's like, it's 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 scary and it's rage filled and it's beautiful and it's happy and it's joyful and it's despairing and mm. it's like, it's such a, 
complicated, cool, emotive, affecting moments that's all about just being with the world of this magical kind of boy and his spells. Um, and the fact that you have to conjure up such a strong or happy memory to do this spell yeah. well. It's like, it's all, uh, yeah, you're right, it's all about who you are in that moment and not just about what you can do. Yeah. We came a long way in two minutes there from crying on the book <laughs> with, the, with the griffin. It's not a griffin, it's a <laughs> Stop saying griffin! <laughs> so... He gets, he gets on the train. We, we've done the train. We, he, he deals with the Dementors. We haven't Anything talked about th Ian Brown from the Stone Roses. Okay, let's talk about Ian Brown. Ian Brown from the Stone Roses in it. Move yeah. on. Okay, right. <laughs> well, actually, Leaky Cauldron is a good... Oh, Leaky Cauldron is also weird. Yeah, yeah tell me about no, Leaky Cauldron. No, no, Leaky Cauldron. Cauldron um, on the Dementors, like the Dementors on the... Is a natural... That, that Dementors on the uh, Hogwarts is a natural progression from the kind of weird... Leaky Cauldron is weird. Um, and it's also grimy and, and yeah. grubby and not not like the Ministry of Magic with all of its shiny mm, tiles. Mm -hmm. This is a very gloomy way of thinking about how people use magic in very sort of... It, it feels more like what that pub should feel like. Yeah. In the first couple of minutes, it looks like a pub in like, you know, rural... Hertfordshire. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. This feels much more like. Oh God! You kind of you open the door. You're like local pub. Shut the door. Yeah, walk yeah, yeah. away. You know, <laughs> there is a fire, and and it is quaint. But also, who's that guy over yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So that fits with all that. So yeah. then then we do then we 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 rock it through. We have the sequence with the Dementors, which we've alluded to a few times. I mean, it's 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 spectacular. It's uh, a brilliant sequence, actually. You know. That introduction to the Dementors because. So I, so having read The Subtle Knife, mm -hmm. I then saw the Dementors and I was like, oh my God, they are the spectres from The Subtle Knife. They are essentially the same creature, but this is just kind of visualized. And it's, they are so frightening. The idea of them is so frightening because it's not just about they kill you dead. It's about them sucking out your soul and leaving the shell, which is exactly what happens in The Subtle Knife as well. Mm. Um, so just like having these two parallels, kind of reading them around the similar time and the idea of what that the real world of that looks like. Yeah. Because yes, of course, we don't necessarily have spectres or dementors sucking out our souls, but we do have mental illnesses that do things that echo no. what this looks like mm -hmm. and you know can leave you as like a husk of yourself. And that I found terrifying because these aren't just like monsters who can kill yeah. you with long talons like your griffins or whatever yeah. it is, or a hippogriff. This, this suddenly felt like a very, something that we could really apply to the to our world. They're incredible creatures because like, and, and you you reference Pullman. I mean, the other reference that they often made of them is they're like the ring wraiths, right, in Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, they look and sound like them, but none of these references, I, I feel the need, that doesn't diminish what they are. No. I think, if anything, they're the, the, the links to depression and melancholia mm -hmm. are really profound and just the way they're rendered. Mm. Uh, I think it's, I mean, have you seen The Cursed Child? Yeah, uh, oh my God. The, yeah, it's the, the best the, thing bit, about the play. Uh-huh, is the absolutely way the Dementors the are on. Yeah. And, it's, and it's absolutely hair-raising. And part of it is the baggage you've got with that moment yeah. in the film. And part of the baggage of that moment is this sense that you've been in this space before. And as you, as you said in your intro to Why You Love This Series, it's the space where... Harry met Ron, and it's yeah. the space where they had chocolate frogs and they ate the bogey flavoured, and it wasn't it all fun? Yeah. And you can imagine the kind of sitting on the soft, kind of, you know, slightly worn cushions mm -hmm. like they used to have in trains when you were a kid. And yeah, stuff and the like excitement that. of a train journey. And the invasion into yeah. that yes, yes. comforting space yeah. of this 
creature from from both your both hell and your own psyche, mm-hmm. right? It's it's yeah. I mean, I'm actually can, I can feel the hairs on the back. I know of my you're making now. me go goosebumps so just bad. talking like, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the note I had on the Dementors was to link into this idea of kind of deanimation and all these various spells that are part of the series about um, yeah, stupefy that sort of stunning oh, yeah. spell, the basilisk from the second film where you're sort of petrified and oh, rendered yeah. immobile, and also I think it is it the Goblet of Fire where they're underwater and can't remember. Gold, yeah, the couple of they have to go. Under. Yeah, yeah, but there's the like, mind, like floating underwater. Yeah, is it that one? Yeah, which yeah, are, yeah. Which are at the Harry Potter world, and you see the models in real life. Anyway. So there's lots and lots of spells about movement or de- deceleration. And, sure. And, and the Dementors. So th- this is this is. Uh, I was thinking about soul and anima, and obviously animagus, but. Um, when uh, Eisenstein writes about Disney and and you know is obsessed with plasmaticness as we've talked about many yeah, times on the podcast, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he copies a definition of animal um, and talks about animal and talks about anima. And his definition relates to breath, soul, soul, mind, uh, breath, wind, to breathe, to live, to supply with life, to enliven. Yes. How the soul animates the body. So. Part of the reason the Dementors are so threatening is because they're just like removing, yeah. they're removing the ability to be animate, and and so people that have responded, that have talked about Eisenstein in relation to animation and, and Disney. Um, so Esther Leslie writes about this as breath, soul, mind, liveliness, mobility, and atavism, all present in the most modern, flat, trivial, and mass forms of entertainment, and present in multiple ways. Right. Cartoon drawings were animated in the broadest sense of the term because they were about things like soul and atavism and um, breath, and and people have written about soul in relation to. There's a book on film theory, you know, soul and film theory yeah, yeah. and soul and animation. It's more than just being lively. It's it's more sort of embodied well, and, and lo- cinema animation. It's it's light. It's creating life. Yes, isn't yes, it? it's yes. you know, it creates movement. It creates it creates life. And I guess you know to bring it back to this. That's I guess that's why I don't want to dismiss the first two movies. Is that you need that sense of this world being alive and well for all of this to work mm-hmm. before need, it has this malaise you know you need to point. revisit the train and do this to it so you need to know what the train is feels like supposed to feel yeah, yeah, like yeah. you need to have sat on that chair kind of metaphorically before to to, to know how cold it feels well because of uh, magic yeah but because of the magic in the film every place is now potentially a battleground yes mm-hmm. so it used to be the house there's no there are no safe there no. are safer spaces, but there aren't completely safe spaces yeah. because now a train journey becomes a space yeah. of violence. And that's what I mean about it being flattened in a good way is that magic is now available to all these different places. It doesn't feel like it's only something that happens over there or it's now something that happens here and could happen on this journey. Mm-hmm. So this, the, the relationship that magic has with threat means that the, the spaces that Harry would now can, would previously have considered, oh, okay, safer and now not not as safe yeah and that's maybe where the, the kind of the, I'm keeping going back to this kind of puberty thing of him being a no, certain no, no, no. age where he's yeah everything's now a war on his body yeah because up until this point he's like you keep kind of talking about it about him learning spells mm-hmm. and doing things to other things or other people and now it's happening to him yeah. regardless of whether or not he can you know do a spell against yeah. it or not it's like it's sort of invading his yeah. body his being his soul is that's all at stake now, yeah. where it wasn't the, necessarily. But before. the dimensions, the way that they're yes, the way that they're animated through, but there's just the just the the way that they oh. remove your face 
face. They're, they're just they're just visually it's kind so of astounding, cool. really. Yeah, it is. And because they're so sort of intangible and they just they take something that's also intangible. And yeah. why is that so much more frightening than having somebody come at you with a sword and yeah. lop your head off? And it, it is, it's that, I guess it's, we don't know what that looks like. Yeah. And so seeing that visualized, what that might look like yeah. is really frightening. And it kind of feels in the, in, a, in the best possible way, like a sort of Doctor Who villain of having that, that kind of sucking, the sort of way that the the face blurs and is pulled yeah. away, I don't know why. It kind of bit, like a like a great Doctor Who villain. It's sort of like that. It makes me it makes me think then if we're, with all these kind of threads that we're picking up on is that the fundamental difference between the plot that then unfolds, or at least the way you're asked to sort of view the plot through Harry and Ron, particularly Harry's perspective, um, but all three of them. Uh, is that the first two movies are very much kind of, you know, Scooby-Doo, let's solve a mystery mm -hmm. kind of movies. They're, um, it was the guest star. You know, yeah, yeah. and the kids are the ones solving, yeah, yeah. solving the, the, you know, solving it. The adults don't really know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, they're trying kind of fecklessly to, to sort it out, but the kids actually know what happens because they went and snuck into the library that day mm -hmm. and found the book and all that kind of stuff. Here, the adults are trying to protect... Harry from Sirius by not letting him solve the mystery. Well, we don't know necessarily that there is the, a mystery to solve. Well, well the, the mystery is, yes, the mystery is what is concealed from Harry, mm. right? The, if there's a mystery, there isn't, well, there's a mystery in that they, well, there's a, there's a twist, isn't there, in that what they, what the, what everyone thinks is happening isn't actually happening. Yeah. But there's no mystery other than the fact that they won't tell him what's going on. Yes. And we don't get to find out what's going on because they won't tell him what's mm -hmm. going on and and harry is desperate to at least be given the dignity of being told mm -hmm. if this guy's coming to kill me i want to know who he is and and what's going on and how likely he is to actually achieve that and you feel his rage because you've watched two movies where he's been pretty good at Solving yeah. the problem here. He's patronised all the way through the movies. Yeah. Uh, through that, the books. It becomes a, a thing for the rest of the yeah. films, right? Up until kind of the last couple, yeah. which is that he's fighting for autonomy and they just won't give him it. And it and it and we kind of have this argument about whether or not Dumbledore wants him to do it by himself. And that's the really... I'm saying that in inverted commas because sure. that's literally the point of the, of the last book is that he could have told him everything he needed to know but didn't because the whole point was that he had to figure it out by himself to, so that he would be worthy of doing it in the end. And that's kind of like here because we have Dumbledore who is sort of, he, I don't think he's necessarily aware of what's going on at this point. He doesn't know that Pettigrew is alive yeah. or any of the, what, what comes to pass. But when it, like the final moments of, you know, him locking them in the hospital room and saying, why don't you use the time turner? I'm just going to say this one mysterious yeah. thing and then fade away, yeah. humming in the background. Yeah. Um, because he's like, I'm quirky. retracing your steps. <laughs> yeah, literally. I see you. <laughs> Like you could so just right. you could yeah. just tell them like I don't know it feels much more like deliberate in the films that he's like oh you could probably do this without my help but in the in the books he's I don't know it feels more like you haven't got time go you know it's yeah. more like that sort of urgency whereas in this it feels like he's being deliberately obstructive and he's like you mm. could just tell them because I don't know how they would have figured that out because they are actually only supposed to be thirteen. But because the films treat them now like they are 30, I think there's quite, like, quite a massive jump between the first two and the third. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. Yeah. It's an interesting, yeah, I don't know. 
Absolutely. Yes. Um, I really want to get to the time turner sequence because I need you guys to help me through it because I have I have issues with I've always had issues with that sequence and I would like to no longer have issues. Oh, interesting. With it. So well, can we not yeah, skip so, though? So we need to. What can't we skip before we get there? Because we're going to need to. Uh, the lesson with Lupin and the Boggart. Of course. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Because this is a that. this is one of the most iconic yeah. scenes from the films and the book, yeah. I think. But like, you must have had so much fun with the kind of the animation of this one or mm -hmm. like the way that the Boggart is realized. Because yep. I guess Boggarts are, they're actually a recognizable mythological creature mm -hmm. that we've heard about through so many different stories. So how do you think it's kind of... Quite animated, oh, I would say, Chris. Realised in there. Real leaning forward. Yeah. Take it away! Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, I, do, I, I suppose... There are certain scenes in the Harry Potter films where they like whether where it's like the whether whether the animation that's or the visual effects are at their most v visible. So again, the, the whole the, I think the films play reflexively with their own visual effects. So some stuff you're not supposed to know is an effect. Some stuff you definitely are mm -hmm. supposed to think are visual effects. But that's also folded into a film that's about the visibility and accessibility of, of magic and what you're allowed to do mm. in particular things. Um, the I had seen the. Well, this is my second time watching the film. The only bit I remembered was uh, Snape dressed in <laughs> yeah in Neville Longbottom's grandmother's clothes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose you know the the. The, the the sequence the the is it another example of the film taking those kind of stock moments of the Harry Potter sort of you have your train journey you have your, you have your defense against the dark you have your yeah with the yeah. new teacher that's come in or the yeah. it's always the, the those sorts of patterns and that point mm -hmm. but it's doing the first good defense against the dark yeah yeah teacher, yes actually. but but even then the film plays with that because you think that he's not. And you think, oh, okay, the film's going to do that thing where the new teacher is going to be the villain, when actually that's not... Only for a split second. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's only the moment where, in between him, pinning Sirius to the ground and then hugging him. You're like, oh, yeah. okay. oh no, hang on. But even yeah. when he hugs him, you still think, oh, he could be villainous. And, and I'd forgotten that bit. And I was like, I thought he was good. <laughs> um, but this is a, this that Bogart sequence is, I suppose, a good example of maybe where the film is most interested in... The experience of being a, or the difficulty of being a child, and the various things that you fear, and what you, what you do with that, what you, how how are you supposed to overcome your fear of these different mm -hmm. kinds of things? And people's fears are wildly different. So you know the the film is kind of playful in some ways about the things that people are scared of, and yeah. spiders fine, but it's there are things that are very that are made rational, and you realise that these are. Children. That's where the film kind of retreats back into. Okay, mm. so actually, it's teaching. It's it's treating these yes, like thirty year olds for most of the film. But actually, that's the sequence where you go. Act. They these are characters who are young and who are who have wildly different fears based on their different backgrounds, their knowledges, their families, their all that. So that's what I quite liked about that scene is that it has these moments where it's tapping into quite anxiety-inducing things that children go through yeah. as part of their lives, as part of their livelihood. And is it clear, though, because I, I sort of wish they'd carry, like done a few more examples. Yeah, we only yeah, get yeah. two or three, that in the book we get a few more, and I feel like actually visually that it's so fun to see something like a spider with roller 
skates on, transform. Like clown thing or yeah, oh, and that's supposed to be the thing that's ridiculous and like yeah. light, like oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. the fact <laughs> they turn from a cobra into like a jack in the box. Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Give me the cobra's fine. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like the whole idea of like the spell being ridiculous is the yes. whole idea about us laughing at this yeah. bogger. And it, it, do you think that they make that clear enough in? the way that they use those examples and the way they animate it. Because I still think that a, that a spider with roller, roller skates is still quite scary. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's a really difficult scene mm. tonally. Yeah. Because it's Chris is right and you're right in that, in the, like, it goes from this quite like, and it's back to what you're saying around about like the, the public nature of some of this mm -hmm. magic of like of turning your private fears into something public yeah that's it's almost like that's the boggarts yeah that's the boggarts evil mm -hmm. isn't it it's not necessarily that you can turn into the thing that you fear the most yeah it's that you can do it in front of everyone yeah. who you are desperate don't know this yeah mm -hmm. um and to go from that to the kind of sublime silliness mm -hmm. of in, in, in a two minute sequence is always going to be a bit of a challenge yeah and I'm not sure it captures the euphoria because it's more concerned with doing the kind of the first bit. Because I'm with you. I, 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 I don't find the images hilarious. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, you know, Alan Rickman. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Because he knows what he's, he knows, yeah. he knows how to do it. So, um, but, you know, that's Tottering about it. Tottering around, yeah. But, but do you think, though, if that sequence would have appeared in any of the other two, the, the earlier two movies, yeah. it would have, it would have been... The other version, yeah, 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 which yeah, is yeah. all ridiculous, yeah. and played exactly for, a well, played for last bit, played in a different way. Whereas here, it's it's got that that it's got something else. It's got an edge to it because it's done ever so slightly differently. Well, what it does is it puts an underline under the kind of I don't know if it's the final line, but you know, so the Boggart Boggart's actually scary because he makes your private fears public, yeah. and mm -hmm. therefore I guess actually the ridiculousness of them is that you are ridiculed for your for your fears, right? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that what everyone's worrying about? But it makes the point quite well, which is that Harry's fears are nothing to be laughed at. Mm -hmm. um, because you know, he has, you know, you horrors in away. his life that nobody else has had. You can't laugh away the kind of underlying scars of, of mourning that the, yeah. the mentor summons up in them because mm -hmm. that's just a loss that you can never yeah. regain. And I think it does well at em emphasising that because then that sets up the whole need for an alternative uh, to, to, to how do you defeat a Dementor and it's not by making them ridiculous because they're, they aren't, they're not ridiculous creatures. Yes. They're, they're very, they're very we've, it's important we take them seriously mm -hmm. uh, and to use your analogy with mental health, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can you can laugh away some some slightly uh, mild concerns, but it's actually quite important you take some concerns very seriously and yeah. give it the time and the space to process it and uh, to use this tortured metaphor to its conclusion, find your Patronus to to solve it, I yeah. guess. But uh, I think that makes that point well. It does. Without doing a, a silly spider, which I would like. Yeah, <laughs> because the, the, kind of the next time that we see a Boggart is, like properly, is with Molly Weasley and it all of, she sees all of her family dead on the floor. That's what the Boggart turns into. That's her biggest fear. And there is nothing ridiculous yeah. about that because that they're in the middle of a war. And in fact, some of that does actually happen. Yeah. And, and so that, so it's, I've never really thought about it being kind of private to public, especially because um, with Lupin, they make it really obvious in the film that it's 
the moon, mm -hmm. but in the books, it's a silvery orb that's, and it's only Hermione that realizes it's a moon and why. And he's just like, he's really like, whatever, and just like flicks it away. Um, Somebody turns into a. He turns it into a balloon, balloon. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. in the film, yeah. And again, that's a fun, you know, but also, but that doesn't really make sense. There are things in this that are kind of jarring because it doesn't really make sense if you drill down why would a moon become a balloon or why would this cobra turn into a jack-in-the-box? These are just two completely different images. Why would they be in any way related? Um, mm. Because in the in the books, they're slightly more... Like, they kind of yes. make sense a little bit more. You know, it's like Snape turning in, like dressing up in an old lady's clothes. That makes much more sense visually as well. But it's still, yeah. I think it's still a, it's a good scene because yeah. it shows Lupin. It shows him being sensitive. It shows him being a good teacher. It shows him also, you know, trying to inject a sense of fun into his lessons, which is... Magic is fun. We've seen that before, but the teachers are always having to look, like kind of put the kibosh on that. Whereas he's like, yeah, let rip a little bit, and I really okay. like that, reminding us of what you're supposed to be doing at Hogwarts is learning and having fun at the same time. Yeah. Do we have any more scenes before we can get to the time turner, or should I get this uh, off my chest? Um, Buckbeat's quite cool. Buckbeak, we can we can come back to. I've literally uh, put. I like gonna... seeing Buckbeak. That was it. All I've written. Oh, so good. there you go. We're, we're pro Buckbeak here <laughs> on the podcast. Draco's like, you regret this, you and your bloody chicken. He has some really good lines. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, it's cool. a fun scene. But no, apart Fine. from him defecating, go I, for it. I I hated the time turner <laughs> thing when I read it in the book for the first Did time. Did you? And I still don't love it. And I don't. I don't, and to reference the cursed child again, I've got a, a I can sort of see why they're doing it in that play, but uh, we won't talk about the play too much. But that's yeah, a I shit story. I, I <clears throat> what is my problem here? Because actually, this time around, I, I almost got there with it because I think it, it does this really clever thematic kind of resolution to all of this stuff that's really interesting. But I think my thing is, and I would very much like to be dissuaded to think like this is that fantasies can be about different spaces so they can be the wizard of oz or they can be about and they, i can have pleasure thinking about oh what if a what if that bus that i've always imagined might go completely out of control actually went out of control or what if the castle that i um think i could get lost in actually deliberately gets me lost or what if the banquet was endless or all these kind of fun things or fantasies can be about time and there can be It's a Wonderful Life and Oh My God, What If Your Significant Other Never Met You and all these mm -hmm. kind of things, which are fantasies we all engage with. I find it very confusing and jarring when they're about both at the same time because it just makes me go, well, one, there's a question of rules. Mm -hmm. So it makes me go, when do you, when do you use the time turner and mm -hmm. when do you not? Could we not have used the time turner and perhaps saved Harry's parents? Mm -hmm. um, apparently we can't because of some, we can't do too much, but we can save, we can save the hippogriff and we can save, <laughs> you know, so we can save lives as a result of mm -hmm. it. So there's kind of that pedantry kind of thing. Yeah. It also, to me, just, it just makes, it makes the magic less consistent because I don't know what's magical about this world. And if everything's magical about it, then it's not... I like to think of magic like kind of jazz. You know where the beat is, but it's riffing off it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know where the beat is. It's just mess. And that's just... Odd trumpet. That's just an odd trumpet. <laughs> odd trumpet. <laughs> yeah, so what we've got in the last 20 minutes for me is an odd trumpet. Uh, right. And I want, I, want, I want to hear the tune. So uh, help me out. Um, has Ooh. that ever jarred with anyone, anyone else? I mean, or, absolutely. Time travel is always jarring, actually, because there are always 
things that you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense because what if this and this da da da? And you're right, it's it's stupid, and that's why it's fantasy, right? Like it just doesn't work in reality. There aren't, it can't work in reality. No, but really. can it work? I don't mind if it doesn't work in reality, but can it work in this world? I think is the is the requirement. It's, I would I would ask of it. I guess the whole point about this is that the the if we're going to go into like the law, I guess of the time turner. That, I'd like to go right. into the law. In as much I would as like I to can take more than forty five minutes. I guess. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> so. in as much as that I can think about it is that Dumbledore didn't have access to any time turners. The the government, yes. the Ministry of Magic, weren't going to do anything because people die every day, and why would they say? these two they you know why would why not everyone who's ever died well yeah that would be the, the, the right? fundamental fault so of that's my, yeah. so that's that's the ministry of magic who control the time turners okay now they've applied for this time turner for hermione because she needs is to go to some more lessons so exceptional that yeah. she needs to <laughs> they they see potential in her that they had to appeal directly to the ministry of magic so that she is able to do more classes and it turns out that it's one of those exceptional cases because it's not messing with really with any other timeline, or at least it shouldn't. It's just Hermione doing her own thing just to get some more knowledge. Yep. And it's not about okay. changing the route of other people's lives. And it's only Dumbledore that kind of puts the idea in her head that maybe on this occasion she might be able to save two more lives if she just messes with time a little bit, three hours. Okay. So I guess it's not... The reason why it doesn't happen before is because it's not Dumbledore at the helm of it being like, ah, break the rules, it's fine. Yeah. And the fact that the Ministry have to be really convinced. And then it doesn't happen in the future because they smash all of the time turners in the Ministry of Magic. That's how they get rid of that loophole in this world mm. is that there aren't any more that exist. Apart from in the play, which is where it all goes up the creek. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. Like, but that's because we have apart to Apart from this hits. one, yeah. you know. Um, um, so that's, that's, I, that's how I see the law of the time do, turner. Do you, does that feel fine to you? You, I mean, there are my... loads of things in this. Okay, so my WhatsApp group... Are you satisfied by My that? WhatsApp yeah. group is full of these little um, holes in J.K. Rowling's writing. And we all we do, because we listen to the we listen to Stephen Fry mm -hmm, yeah. reading them and all the time. Like, my friend has it on loop every day of her life, every night of her life. She listens mm -hmm. to I know it. someone that does that to yeah. get sleep. Yeah. yeah, and I always, you know, used to, I do it less now. But, um, so we're always like, well, what about this? And what about this? And there are so many. You will drive mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. mad with the little inconsistencies in Harry Potter. And I agree this is one of them. Um, but I think for the reasons I've just explained, I'm like, yes, that's something that I can get on board with. I think I'm okay with this because of X, Y, and Z. Chris? So I, I... Sorry, that was really long. No, it was good. My, my thing was going to be about, you know, there are... I remember thinking that way about the room of requirement, which is... Yeah. We need to... There's a plot hole. We need to... <laughs> I like, love so, the room of requirement, though. But but I, I can... In what you're saying about your kind of WhatsApp group, all these different ways in which fantasy and magic is used to kind of, not correct, but just... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Fine. And, and perhaps, yes, it is broadly justified by... Fantasy, yeah, okay, so we can, we can, it can be acceptable. Here it's slightly, here, here, so there is that, there's the, there's the drama element of we need something to, to just, they need this, how they're going to get it, yeah. they can go into the room for quite a yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I understand from the author's point of view and the filmmakers that this would be really good to correct that story bit or that narrative mm -hmm. bit, I understand. From a, I guess from a film perspective, and we were having this debate before, you know, that it's, it's, it's attempting to do something with... There's an opportunity here from the books to do something that might look cool visually, mm -hmm. to play with um, a kind of 
well, you know, scholars call this all kind of things, the, the, these database narratives, forking path narratives, all these different kinds of modu yeah. mo modular yeah. narrations. Like, okay, fine. So people have written about this um, and it's, it's part, it's cut from that cloth, I think, trying to, you know, this could be something we could do that would be interesting to play with um, a collision between time and space. Doctor Who do it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, so I... I, I I no, no, I don't, I don't mind when Doctor Who does it. Because right, Doctor okay. Who doesn't introduce me to a castle that's all... I, it, you carry on. No, so, <laughs> so I think there's the... It solves a narrative problem for yeah. J.K. Rowling, the, these fantasy elements. Um, from a filmmaking perspective, I can see that in this film, that Time Turner gives Kieran some interesting grist for the mill mm -hmm. I mean, what he can do is he can play with these and actually the first time that Hermione uses the, that we see her use the time turner that you have the camera that goes through all the clock the clock face and mm -hmm. catches up with um, Harry and Hermione at the bottom that's really cool so yeah. it, it allows the film to do some cool visual stuff with clocks with clocks and with time and playing with up to this point a, a, a couple of films that are interested in the past but not really. They 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 follow a very classical model of narration, mm -hmm. even though the film is interested in his genealogy and what his parents did when they were children at Hogwarts with Snake and all this kind of stuff. This is the first film that's like, okay, so we could fold some of that into the way that the film looks and the way that the film kind of communicates its story. So it plays with not necessarily flashbacks because they're not treated as flashbacks the films do do flashbacks loads of them do flashbacks yeah, yeah. but this isn't this isn't a flashback this is trying to do at least something interesting mm -hmm. with the idea of chronology and consequence um but i don't know where that then the tension view is that it rubs up against a world in which if everything is fantasy or possible then kind of nothing is and so i just get I lose the sense of magic. I lose the sense of coherence. I lose the sense of where I'm supposed to imagine around this world. And what I end up doing is, um, well, you get Back to the Future too, and you get, you know, um, Chronicles of Narnia happening at the same time. Well, I don't know if that's true because also this is so it's such a bleak moment in the film, actually. Although it's presented as it's so exciting to go back in time, actually, there is it's not a super positive resolution. Harry doesn't get to be with his godfather for the rest of their lives, like they just had just planned. Yeah. And so you, you have this moment of, this is the only thing that they can do in this scenario that doesn't make this the worst moment ever, because that's still coming, <laughs> by yeah, the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So this is just like a tiny little, okay, we're gonna give you this we're going to give you that Sirius doesn't die in this moment because Harry is not getting that happy mm. ending that he should get in this right now yeah. and so I don't so I don't know if we are getting the magic of what you're just talking about we've had that that's all that's happened. happened now we're having the the kind of reality of what yeah. can happen in this magical world this is just kind of suspending it briefly okay. I feel like I, I like that mm. answer I think that's that's how I that's a much better way of, of writing down what I've put down, which is, I guess there's some thematic consistency, question mark. <laughs> um, in, and I love that kind of, it does end on this kind of, you think they're going to write all the wrongs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That this time-travelling device is going to make them, okay, they'll, they're all the th sad things and, 
and annoying things that just happened in the last 20 minutes, they're going to fix all of it and there's going to be this kind of euphoric celebration at the end. Yeah. And they kind of sort of fix all of them, but not quite. And the, what the best kind of example of yeah. that, and I can't, I, it's not in the films, but in the book, is where they see Hagrid, who is like really drunk and really happy, having just had Buckbeak escape oh, yeah. his execution. And it's like he is not burdened with everything that's just happened with Sirius and sure. the kind of the knowledge and the loss. He is just purely... Yeah. It has you know his one of his best animal friends is still alive and that's all that matters to him in that moment mm. and I love that because that's like everything that could have been except that that's obviously like kind of ripped away mm. by the fact that Peter Pettigrew escapes and so Sirius never gets that happy ending I mean ever gets that happy ending yeah, yeah. so and the fact knowing that in retrospect is so heartbreaking that actually that it's so, and, and the way that they do it is almost like throwaway in the film where um, Peter Prescott kind of like just waves and disappears. And it's yeah. just, and it's that moment which means that Sirius, it's the lead up to him losing his life, yeah. essentially. And it's, oh God, that's, so it's, that's a devastating yeah. moment. So is it that in the first two that there is a sense that, I know we're doing this kind of partition between the first two and the third when, when they are in conversation, but I think, as I said, these kind of received narratives that place this one as just doing something ever so slightly different, I think, is, has been borne out by mm. the things we say. So in the first two, there is a sense that magic has, has its problems, but actually is used to solve a lot of things. Yeah, it adds to the world. But this one, the magic doesn't, it's you can go as far. You can turn back time, and you can, but it's still, still not. Won't. It still won't. It you, can be ripped away. It can, yeah. yeah. And so it's that. And the, and yes, it ends with him getting his new broom or whatever. But it's, it's which still, is not how the book ends. Well, but so so this is it. <laughs> that that feels like. A, could you end it without that and be like, well, sorry, that's that's that then. See you for the. So it's got to end in a slightly different way because. People like a happy ending, whatever. But but this one, the magic isn't really. Mm. It's not giving that cathar. Because mm. we, what we were saying about the the um, what's it called the bogger is this. There's lots of writing on animations relationship to like catharsis and yeah. trauma and being able to vision represent the non-representable. So what does depression look like? What does mental health mm. look like? What what it, what it looks it looks and feels like a. A, a dark cloud. Well, yeah. I can animate that, and I can draw, that, and that's mm -hmm. what I can. I can visualize it. Mm. So, loads and loads of people talk about animation's relationship to kind of catharsis and things. Yeah. Like that. So that's really what that's what the Patronus is. Is mm -hmm. it's, it's yes, animation it's and visual effects yes. being a catharsis for a character. But at the end of this movie, you don't you Damn. you don't quite get you don't Harry doesn't get the he's got all the magic in the world and he's got all of these things and he can but it's just still not and that's maybe why this film's. It, it, it's the one that's like okay, so it's not going to end how it's much more like real life. It's isn't much it? more real, and and for a 13, 14, 15 year old set of children yeah. who are like, it's sort of probably important that it doesn't end in the way that it, that, that everything gets resolved because yeah. it gives them something to chase. It gives yeah. them something to, to. You've just sort of triggered something in my mind. You know how parents sometimes say that they get their children pets because that would then be their first experience of death. Yeah. Sure. You know, I, I said this to my mom. She's like, what rubbish? You just wanted a rabbit, so I got you a rabbit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, fine, you yeah. didn't overthink it. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like with Ron, you know? Like, he's yeah. the whole way through. Scabbers is, you're like, oh, he's on his last legs. He's about to die. He's really old. He's being chased yeah. by a cat. He's being eaten by a cat. And actually, like, the reality <laughs> of, like, his pet dying but then becoming like one of them you know like incredibly dark being is just like it's such yeah. a it's it's like the magical version of 
your pet dying and you having that sort of having to come to terms with the reality of life and the yeah. reality of their life is that there are these evil people in the world who have conspired to kill each yes. other yeah. and that's that's their reality and if the spectators have got to do that the characters daniel radcliffe and harry potter have gone from oh this is a really great you know this guy's lied to sell a few books but that's all right yeah and then in the third one it's like well ron's in in the infirmary because he's hurt by this you know he's being dragged under a tree which is one of the worst <gasps> that that when he goes and then just gets sucked underneath oh. that's one of the worst things that's the thing that i remember okay and just like that and then getting sucked yeah the and the whomping willow is because they show it so yeah. often throughout this it's like it's used to mark the changes in the season yes. for the school and then it's like and it keeps just eating birds which is really horrible yeah. <laughs> and we've obviously we came across it in a second but but i do think it's quite clever the idea that it was planted because Lupin was a werewolf and they needed a place for him to transform and that's why they planted the Whomping Willow mm. so that he, so that students wouldn't be able to go yeah. down there. Um, so I kind of, I love all that that link and the, you know, the history of that. And yeah. I, something, because I think that's what Quran does really well is um, that the, like the, the really dark aspects of something that should be quite magical and fun. Mm. Also, the did you notice the amount of ravens whenever with like with the in the pumpkin patch with the executioner? Because it made me think <laughs> yeah. of like the Tower of London and you know like just that was where like his side as he's yeah, and there were just like ravens yeah. everywhere and that cawing and it was just it's so like pervasive and terrifying and he does such a good job of just getting under your skin with mm -hmm. these really little yeah. elements that you wouldn't necessarily think about that definitely aren't in the book those details but we did want to talk about the uh, transformation oh yeah did the, you well, well um, is there time yeah well i <clears throat> there are i remember i can't remember if it was one a conference that we attended like somebody did a history of sort of werewolf transformation in and you know transformation especially wolves as well are a good way of marking the history of special effects yeah like they're often transformation narratives are okay this is these are markers for practical and visual and, and special effects sure. the history of whether it's john landis or you go further back and think about long chain and all these sorts of horror stories where transformation is part of this central kind of thing and this is this is like part this is is it the first time, because I think the first the first film has Voldemort just growing on the back of that guy's head. <laughs> the second one has your basilisk, has your... But this is more, okay, so humanity is being... What I presume to be human is now not human, and that's like the worst thing. Mm. That's, the, that's why it's so dark, because they believe in the humanity, and then that's taken away from them. Mm. And that's why the, the transformation narrative is, is for, for Lupin, because... They believe him, they think he's in league with Sirius, so they don't believe him. And then then his humanity is disabled even further because he's not even human. So there's that that I think plays into the fear of the 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 fact this is the third film of a group of children who are they are thinking about where their what is it, the, where where their allegiance lies. Mm -hmm. And the biggest fear is when their allegiance is misplaced. Mm. And this is the first film. In the first film you know that the Dursleys are horrible. Mm -hmm. And the second film you know that the Dursleys and mm -hmm. you know you know who the villains are. Yeah. This is the first film oh, where yeah. where your allegiances are not quite 
Yeah, you think it's Sirius that's the baddie and he's not the antagonist, so who is the antagonist? We see the actual antagonist for about 30 seconds, Timothy Spall, and uh, and somebody that we've always hated, Snape, is actually the one who's protecting the children bodily with his arms from Lupin the werewolf. And everything is turned on its head. And you're like, well, hold on, why would Snape... So Snape is a goodie, or at least he's just being a grown-up in this moment as opposed to being a bully dickhead? That's what the... the that's what the, like, he's more than just a bully dickhead. But like that, that sort of yeah, that destabilizing of allegiance and, yeah. and where you're supposed to kind of stick your flag yes. in the sand. That's the thing that maybe the film does best. That the children are. That's the thing that they fear. I was supposed to trust you, and now I, now yeah. I can't. And obviously, the metamorphosis and transformation obviously is part. Of it. And and that all you know the the the, the Patronus he yep. thinks it's his dad's turns out it's him yeah it's a wonderful kind of that that, that what he's like the the whole film is about him learning that actually this kind of desire to align themselves with the good the good grown-ups actually what he sort of starts to learn is that you've got to he's got to save himself find your own way yeah himself here right you know um but it's also kind of learning that isn't uh uh, empowering it's well it's, it's kind of empowering but it's also really kind of um, elegiac and, and yeah. lamentable because he's like saying goodbye to well the grown ups he's saying goodbye to his dad he's saying goodbye all over again to kind yeah. of these, these father figures in his life yeah. while saying hello to Sirius and I hadn't even thought of the idea which you mentioned earlier about when he says when he lets you know when he lets P- uh, Pettigrew go to sort of mm-hmm. let Sirius go but we know in a few films time this is not this is going to essentially just sow the seeds for a, yeah. a later demise. Yeah. I think that's not an illegitimate reading of a franchise that wants you to watch it repeatedly mm-hmm. and is made for an audience of a good chunk of already know yeah. what's going to happen. And yeah. that's just adding another layer of kind of Absolutely, tragedy and inevitability to all this. I sort of not noticed this line before, but he says, Harry says um, that they, he wants to move with Sirius somewhere yeah. in the country where he can see the sky. I think he'd like that after all these years in Azkaban. And that's so desperately sad knowing that it never happens because Sirius dies still a prisoner because he's locked up in old Grimmel place for because so the next year he has to like hide out in caves and eat rats and spend his life as an as an animagus as the dog and then the, yeah. the film the year after that then he's locked up in his childhood house which he hates it is a prison yeah. to him so he never gets that freedom that harry dreams of for him and i remember reading that in the book thinking god i wonder if that's how I yeah 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 yeah. And, but whilst watching it, the film, it, it felt like just just a fantasy. Yes, you know, it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a fantasy. Oh my god. We, we, we have we are, we are probably we've already ran out of time ten minutes ago. So is there any final? Um, we haven't mentioned Gary Oldman. So Gary Oldman. He's in um, it. He's in it. He's, he's pretty he's good. In it. He's in it. Um, okay. Uh, I thought that's all the beats of the movie that covered. We've got we've got. We, um, <laughs> Rihanna, thanks so much Thank for, for for coming on and Thank talking you. through that. It was really fun. I to really do. enjoyed um, that. Uh, you have a podcast about podcasting. Yes, tell so us meta. about that because we have a lot of students that listen to this who want to know about podcasting yes. uh, from a professional, and they certainly aren't going to learn it from us. Too. So, uh, <laughs> well, tell us about as, it. as that's become clear, yeah. so. <laughs> it's called PodPod, yeah. um, and it is we kind of talk to loads of different people in podcasting, whether it's presenters or producers um, or both, often, and it we kind of talk about the business side of it mm-hmm. and how you can make money from podcasting, but also about like how to interview people and sometimes about equipment 
equipment and you know everything and right. anything basically um, so do have a listen to that and if you want us to interview someone then let us know because we're always looking for you know actual podcasters yeah. so how can they find that it's just on all podcasting platforms <sighs> is there a better phrase <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, terrific okay yep. and it's got pod 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 pod, pod. Yes. Yeah. Pod, right. pod. I'm going to check that out this evening because yeah. um, it sounds really interesting and thanks. I probably can learn quite a lot from it yeah, um, yeah but otherwise <laughs> thanks so much for coming and chatting yeah, thank you um, I've loved it we have been Fantasy Animation you can find us at fantasy-animation.org uh, where you can listen to the archive you can listen to some previous Harry Potter episodes um, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram yeah. at fananim research F-A-N-A-N-I-M research otherwise that's been us for another episode and we'll see you next time bye